Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on workers' stories and union news. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I uh, have supported uh, unions and community groups in expressing concerns about the China Free Trade Agreement uh, when we have 800,000 people who are unemployed and many more who are underemployed. The prospect of people losing jobs to uh, temporary migrant workers and the prospect of Australia losing control of its sovereignty through the investor-state dispute settlement provisions are things that are particularly of concern to me. Kelvin Thompson, Labor MP for the Victorian seat of Wills. He was at an anti-China free trade rally in Melbourne on the 28th of August this year with Senator Madigan. The Labor Party, you know, has just given its seal of approval to the deal. That was on October the 21st, negotiating a few changes which it hopes will be acceptable to the many people who believe Australia is selling itself down the river without a paddle. Ellen Hicks, National Secretary of the ETU, which has been leading a charge against the chapter deal, took some time from the fight to talk to us. Ellen Hicks. Um, we've still got significant concerns, uh, particularly in the skills assessments area. So currently right now, uh, electricians and 10 other occupations coming from China, workers coming from that country are required to undertake mandatory skills assessments before they're entitled to get a visa to work in this country in that occupation. Under the China Free Trade Agreement, that has been agreed to by both of the major parties, that skills assessment has now done away with. That's of significant concern to us. There's a massive loophole in the China Free Trade Agreement which will allow over 650 occupations to be brought into this country without any labour market testing. Um, the labour market testing will only apply on those major jobs where the immigration department's involved. And finally, um, there's still uh, an OISDS clause in there which will allow... Uh, our government and taxpayers in this country to be sued by overseas corporations if they believe they're going to uh, lose on any contract they enter into in this country. They reckon that, say, for example, the thing about um, requiring uh, people to reach the uh, licensing standards of Australian tradespeople, like electricians, they've moved it from 60 to 90 days, for example. I mean... They can bring people in to work for three months and then cycle them, couldn't they? Absolutely, and that's one of the, the loopholes that we're talking about. There's a provision in Chapter 10, it's in, annexia, in the annexure that's uh, attached to that chapter, and it talks about um, service people and maintainers and installers. And there's a provision there that if a Chinese corporation enters into a contract, and I'll use an example of like a water treatment plant, part of that a contract is to supply equipment and machinery. They can actually bring in their own workers from overseas, from China, uh, to do that work regardless of what the unemployment levels are like in Australia or in that particular region of Australia and regardless if there's Australians that are ready, able and have the experience and skills to do those tasks. Um, it just mitigates all of that capacity for any Australians to reap the benefits of a, you know, infrastructure project in this country. And it's, it's saddening, it's very saddening because simply there is a capacity to fix that loophole um, and it's an easy one which doesn't affect the treaty doesn't have any capacity to breach any relations or negotiations that have been uh, undertaken with China and the government and unfortunately the ALP uh, chose not to do that.
Have you got safety concerns? Absolutely. As I said before, the, the skills assessment currently right now, um, if a worker from China seeks to work in a number of occupations, electrical included, uh, they need to undertake a mandatory skills assessment, which is a theoretical and a practical exam they have to complete and have to pass before they'll be issued a visa. Um, now, the, the proposal is, that'll go through the Senate uh, shortly, is that these same workers who are now required to undertake a mandatory skills assessment will no longer have to undertake that mandatory skills assessment and they'll have 90 days uh, to get their licence to work in this country. So my question is, what are they going to be doing in this country for those 90 days whilst they're trying to achieve their licence? And I'm, I'm sure, as anything, that employers will be asking them to work in those occupations whilst it's in breach of their visa obligations, whilst it's in breach of state and territory law. I'm sure that employers won't have people sitting around for 90 days while they wait to get their licence. Now, the next thing, of course, is um, pay rates. There's been some sort of approach towards uh, award and uh, enterprise agreement uh, rage weights for people coming in. But are you satisfied with that approach? No, once again, um, it's it's an improvement, obviously on a, a dud deal, um, but it's only a slight improvement. And EBA rates or enterprise bargaining agreements that have been struck by uh, unions will be used to assist in calculating what the market rate will be. But in reality, there's no uh, compulsion or guarantee that those rates actually have to be picked up. So there could be the situation where we have workers working on a particular project, working for two different companies, doing exactly the same task, getting different rates of pay. And that's uh, an unrealistic expectation that has been created through the China Free Trade Agreement. It's something that we're trying to obviously continue to campaign against and inform the community of, of the dud deal that's been um, signed off on. What's wrong with our politicians? Look, I think um, I think they're genuinely uh, concerned about the impact by not signing the China Free Trade Agreement that will have on the bigger end of town, the businesses that are going to reap so many benefits or alleged benefits um, from the reduction of tariffs. But this Free Trade Agreement hasn't been equal in any way, shape or form. We've um, signed off on, over the next four years, $4 billion worth of tariff reductions for Chinese companies but in reverse, we haven't got the same concessions from the Chinese government. So obviously uh, our view is that the Liberal Party will, is always interested in looking after the, the big end of town and making sure that their interests are well regarded and at the same time um, not looking after the workers. And unfortunately through this process, uh, our, our members and uh, all Australian workers are, are going to be significantly worse off regardless of the hype around the, you know, the alleged tariff reductions and the like. Um, it's just a significantly bad deal. Well, see, the problem is that we've got the Liberal Party and a Liberal National Party pushing this notion, and in some ways you quite kind of expect them to do it. But uh, the Labor Party is uh, proving that there's not much brand recognition difference between the two. What's to be done? Well, we've got a, a job of work ahead of us to ensure that if um, the Labor Party wants to be an alternative government, then they come out strongly and quite uh, quickly recommend what they would do if they had the capacity, if they were in power, uh, to make significant change to the 457 visa system and the China Free Trade Agreement. There should never, ever be another free trade agreement in this country signed with such conditions in it. And if the Labor Party, as I said, want to be the next alternate government and they want to lead this country, then they better get out quick smart and advise uh, the taxpayers in this country, our members and workers generally, what they're prepared to do to fix these anomalies. And if they don't, then obviously um, it's going to make it very, very difficult for not only our members but workers generally to, to try and decipher the difference between the two. What's uh, your union going to do uh, in the lead-up to this going towards the Senate? 
So we've uh, started having some discussions, obviously, with uh, the Greens and the crossbench senators about trying to move some amendments uh, in the Senate, and we think they're reasonable and practical amendments that should be agreed by both the major parties. Um, we're not holding out any hope simply because of the fact that there will obviously be... Uh, they'll be pig-headed in their approach, particularly the federal government, as they have been the whole way through this process. But sensible, reasonable amendments could fix a number of these issues. And if they have a meaningful debate and dialogue about it, then I'm sure there'll be a passage a way through, which, as I said before, won't affect the treaty. Um, if they're reluctant to do that and we can convince the crossbenchers or the, the Greens to move these amendments, then people, the Australian public, will actually get to see for themselves in black and white what uh, the Australian government and what the Labor Party are prepared to do about safety and, and job security in this country. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. The ridiculous idea that young people just aren't interested in fighting for their rights um, just couldn't be more wrong. I'm so inspired by my workmates and their like um, determination to actually keep fighting. Kalani Pryra is a person to watch in the fight for workers' rights. Earlier this year, Kalani led the battle to get award wages for hamburger chain grilled workers. She lost a job, but the workers got their money and the whole fast food industry is on notice as young people feel their oats when it comes to a fair deal. Kalani spoke at a recent socialist alternative event about the campaign and the fighting spirit of young workers. So it was a couple of months ago now, I guess, um, that... The burger franchise grilled was all over the media for underpaying their workers and firing anyone who speaks out. And I just happened to be the one who got fired. I'm definitely not the first worker to get fired for standing up for my rights. And unfortunately, I'm definitely not going to be the last. So I guess, why is it this caused such a big uproar? Because we don't have to really look very far to see that grilled is only one very small part of the multi-billion dollar hospitality industry that systematically bullies and exploits young workers for every single cent that they can get their hands on. We just have to look at the 7-Eleven scandal that just came out, a sweatshop on every corner. But I think the reason why our story just kind of like went everywhere, was crazy, was because we fought back. It struck a chord with the rest of society. Hundreds of workers sent us messages of support and solidarity. Like, these are the people who have been in this situation before one of the millions of working class people in Australia who are getting screwed over by the bosses every single day. It was a relief and inspiration to these people that young workers can and are taking a stand. We can fight back. All we did was actually apply to terminate our seven-year expired work choices era agreement so that we could get paid the minimum wage. We were literally asking to get paid the minimum wage. It was an important um, act of defiance against the hospitality bosses who've been on the offensive against young workers and and their rights um, for far too long. Since the beginning of time at Grilled, we always thought the pay was shit and that we were treated probably even shit up. But it wasn't until March earlier this year when one of our workmates got fired for drinking a Gatorade that it really like um, just reached that kind of last little straw for us um, and we decided that we need to do something. Um, We need to take a stand. I guess bosses don't really understand that you develop a bond of solidarity with people when you have to work until like 2am making one burger every 36 
seconds sometimes, like getting no penalty rates, no overtime, like absolutely nothing. You and watching like young women employees getting intimidated by like the macho management for not being good enough, um, you develop a bond of solidarity with your workmates. My workmates came to me and they asked if there was anything that we could do about our workmate being fired. They came to me because I'd established myself in the workplace as the unionist and the socialist. Um, I was always the one who would throw out the Herald scum and replace it with the latest edition of Red Flag. <laughs> but, like, as people started coming to me um, with all this anger about what had happened to our comrade, our workmate, I started looking through our workplace agreement to see um, how, like, what, what grounds they could fire someone on, not, not knowing at the time that would come in handy for me down the track. But as I began looking through it, I found so much more. When I called up Fair Work about it, this was their response. Wow, this agreement cuts out almost everything from the award. <laughs> um, yeah, so no weekend penalty rates, no overtime rates, no casual loadings, no paid breaks, no redundancy provisions, no pay rises, compulsory never-ending traineeships that no one receives any training for or certificates. That was what we were in. And that's basically the situation that most hospitality workers are in today in Australia. Although it might sound like our bosses are a bunch of rogue villains from the Hunger Games capital, forcing young workers to accept appalling conditions or else, um, this is just the reality of the hospitality industry in general. And um, young workers who are unaware of their rights or feed being so easily replaced if they do stand up are the, the perfect free ride for bosses who are making billions of profits as a result. But despite this, um, we decided, well, how are they? We're going to organise. And so we called our first secret workers meeting. Um, and it wasn't until this meeting of about seven people that we actually really began believing that things could change. One of my friends even said, it feels like we're students plotting in May 68 France, like as we were sitting around on the floor talking about these things. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, we gained a sense of our collective power, and I think it was really perfectly summed up by one of my workmates when she said, um, God, like she was really frustrated. She's like, gosh, we actually can win anything we want if we just stick together. Like, nothing happens unless we do it, so they have to listen. And it's just like, yeah, exactly. Um, and it wasn't until then that more and more of workers in, in our workplace actually felt confident enough to start, start speaking out as well, and the creativity just started flowing. So um, we had the, all these crazy ideas from like occupying our workplace and like locking up everything um, to like um, setting up a petition for customers to sign. Or set, if anyone's been to Grilled, you'll see those little community jars because Grilled really cares about the community. And so we were like, we'll set up our own one about like yeah, why people should donate to the people who work here because we can't even afford a freaking burger here. Um, and also, um, this is when we decided to start calling ourselves um, the Red Bandanas, because um, at Grill we all have to wear different coloured bandanas, and we were the red ones. <laughs> um, so it was really cool. It actually was, someone came up with it who was like, always red baited me constantly, constantly, and he came up with this idea, and I'm like, oh, cool, okay. In this meeting, um, we wrote up a list of demands that we wanted, and we went to the bosses with our list of demands, and it was really awesome, because it was like, seeing these like 16 year old high school students like confidently and defiantly demanding the boss give our friend his job back, demanding the boss pay us properly, increase our wages better than the award, um, back pay all of us for all the underpayments and um, yeah the confidence that these people really felt to actually start making these demands um, like it's just a win in itself. 
so all of a sudden, like literally on the spot, the bosses were like, okay, okay, we'll give you everything. Um, I, I, it might be because I was wearing my MUA Here to Stay t-shirt. <laughs> um, but whatever the case, um, yeah, they gave our friend his job back immediately. Um, May came when they promised us um, the pay rises and, and then it went and there were no pay, pay rises. Um, finally, they back paid a few of us, like a grand or so, but they still refused to back pay everyone um, for this. Nothing ended up happening, basically. And our mistake was that we trusted the bosses to do the right thing without us escalating the pressure. Um, of course, they're not going to part with the hundreds of thousands of dollars it would actually cost them to pay all of their workers properly, um, not without a fight. Um, instead, they went on the offensive against us, and in June, they fired me. They tried to accuse me of bullying one of my managers, and it was a message to everyone else that they'd better back down now as well. Um, it's a well-known tactic of any boss faced with a fight back from below. Um, pick out the leader and make an example of them, also known in the Fair Work Act as adverse action. Um, but of course, the independent investigator in my case, um, my, aka my boss, um, ensures me that he had no vested interest in getting rid of me and he was only following the legal procedure. When I asked him why he doesn't care about legally paying his workers, he refused to comment on that. <laughs> um, it could have been the end of a long kind of battle at Broad, and I was almost certain at this point that they would succeed in intimidating all of my workmates into backing down. Um, the bosses organised a compulsory staff meeting the day after I was fired to launch their scare campaign about the award um, in comparison to their beloved work choices agreement. Um, and actually, uh, it was in this meeting instead um, that one of my workmates stood up and denounced the bosses and their lies, ripped up the pieces of paper that the bosses had handed out and declared, this is all a conspiracy to get rid of Kalani. And <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, it was actually really great. Um, because it gave people, everyone else in the room, the kind of confidence to start speaking out about what was going on as well and to tell all of the other workers who hadn't been involved in the kind of meetings that we'd had um, exactly what was happening. So um, after that meeting, we made up some leaflets and we started going around to other group workplaces to hand out leaflets to the workers there about what their rights were and what we were doing. Uh, we were kicked out immediately every time by management, but just so clear to all the workers who were handing the, these leaflets out, um, the lengths that these people would go to to not pay their workers the, the minimum wage. At this point, I was fired now. Like, so many of my workers put their jobs on the line to actually, yeah, keep up this fight in the workplace um, in the face of the crackdown from the bosses. Fifteen of my co-workers signed the paperwork to terminate our agreement, even though they only needed one signature. Um, and they continued to speak out, um, again, like provided witness statements to support me against the, um, the manager's claims. Um, and yeah, rather than becoming the example of why you shouldn't speak out that the boss had, had hoped to kind of put across, it became a nationwide phenomenon, inspiring so many other young workers to take up the fight. What became clear from this channel of communication was that Brill were attempting to divide and conquer. Um, so appeal to certain levels of um, workers, pay them different amounts or pay different stores more or less, um, just try to create general confusion about everything. Um, but despite um, yeah, the risks of losing, um, this is one of those rare success stories. And I'd argue it's only a success story because of the, the hard yards, the organising and all of the kind of people involved um, that we um, had right from the start.
not only was our store forced to give our workmate his job back and to increase everyone's wages, but the entirety of Grilled and their 100 plus stores were forced to renegotiate all of their work choices agreements, meaning a substantial pay rise for yeah, thousands of, of young workers. Now workers from um, yeah, other industries, like I don't know if people have seen the pancake parlor workers who recently just yeah, did the same thing um, and yeah, terminated their same seven year expired work choices agreement and now they're getting paid the minimum wage all across pancake parlor stores. As well, Crust Pizza, one of our comrades um, who is a, a worker in a pizza place called Crust Pizza has been doing the incredible organizing there as well. And just there's just so many stories of yeah, young people actually fighting back and, and actually taking this as an opportunity to be able to talk to other young workers and show them, like, look, we can actually do something, so we should do something here as well. The ridiculous idea that young people just aren't interested in fighting for their rights um, just couldn't be more wrong. I'm so inspired by my workmates and their, like, um, determination to actually keep fighting. Call it out when you say it. And uh, it's a bit like the bosses doing the wrong thing. Is they're digging up asbestos or not paying people or people getting their fingers chopped off. Uh, if you're a bystander, you're part of the problem, eh? The voice of Tin Gooden, Secretary of the Trades Hall Council in Geelong. He's talking about the reaction to the Mayor of Geelong in Victoria when he decided to wear an unsavoury sexist T-shirt to a public event. Tim Gooden gives us the background to an incident which has made it to the pages of international media and which the Women's Committee of the Council are pursuing. I was in Melbourne on Sunday at the Refugee Rally and I kept on getting these text messages and Facebook messages um, that the Mayor had worn a T-shirt to an Oktoberfest, which is just a, a beer drinking festival, um, uh, on Saturday at the Geelong Race Course. And he, on his T-shirt, he had a naked woman, full frontal, on the side of a highway hitchhiking with a sign that said, um, gas, grass or ass, no one rides for free. Anyway, later on, it turns out that the original photo was something that Madonna had um, done in a book about um, women's liberation years ago. Um, but not with not with the sign. It was just um, she had a series of nude photos in this book. Well, anyway, someone's nicked it, stuck it on a T-shirt, and then belittled it with this sign, which implies that women should pay for a ride. It's a metaphor for paying their way through life with sex. And it's incredibly derogatory, and, um, and it's nowhere near... Um, what he said was, you know, from art or a famous photo or cons- consent from Madonna, because Madonna stuck it in a book in that context. It wasn't meant to be stuck on a T-shirt with some crude sign. But anyway, so he wore this all day at this um, booze-up. Well, a couple of people started texting it around, and then heaps of people were terribly offended by it. Mind you, this guy's um, done a few offensive things, Um in, in, in Geelong since he's become mayor and beforehand. And, um, and some things are just outrageous and and silly, which that doesn't normally worry me. I don't give it a toss. But um, here we are with a Royal Commission, three women dying a week from their partners, like murder, not, sorry, not dying, being killed. Um, 
the the violence against women is as an all-time high in Australia. Everybody, the unions, the churches, the community groups, the welfare, the governments, are all trying to do something to address that as quickly as we can. And we've got this dope, uh, the highest um, officer of the Crown in Geelong, $170,000 a year with a Liberal minder who's probably getting paid more, um, and he goes and puts that on. He's walking around, um, which basically implies that women are a lesser species and that we own them and, and do what we want with them. And it was really, really not just bad timing, not just bad taste. Um, it wasn't just stupid because he claims that he didn't read it. And um, he'd only owned the T-shirt for 15 years. So it was all, it was all terrible, you know. So I've, Geelong Trades Hall... We've written to the, the Premier. Our women's committee is considering it on Tuesday night. I think the local council is um, is considering what sort of action. A few people have called on him to resign. He's not going to resign. He's been on national TV saying he's sort of, sort of apologising but not apologising. I think he's just apologising that he got caught and he looks stupid. But um, what would be good if he just came out and told all his followers on Facebook that this is wrong. Because a lot of people are coming out going, oh, it's just a T-shirt, um, it's only art, get over it, it's a bit of fun. It's always, But it's always that systemic attitude to society. It's a bit like the Adam Goods affair. Oh, he's just oh, a yeah, sook. Yeah, I'm not racist, but, but yeah. um, he, he shouldn't have said anything. You know, like, come on. And, and actually, it's really amazing. Um, and it is very similar to the Adam Goods stuff because it's the reaction of people. Okay, so a few tweets started going around, a few people started condemning people. We did the, the, we did some stuff in the local media. And then the people that came out, and there wasn't lots of them, there's far more people that were horrified by it, but there were some people that came out absolutely spitting chips and defending the mayor. That Because what it is is it challenges, they may not see themselves as sexist, but it challenges the way that they think and the way that they are behaving and doing things, and they hate being challenged. They want to just stay in their own little box, um, nothing in the world to change, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the attitudes that they have around racism, around sexism, et cetera, and as soon as someone speaks up, they all go out and attack them. Well, they attacked, attacked Adam Goods, um, attacked some of the women here that have been raising it, and, and some of it's absolutely vile poison um, that they've come up with. And, and all everyone said is that this, mate, that is an image that betray that is sexist and you shouldn't be wearing it. Uh, and if you can't see that, because he initially started to defend it, and that's when everyone says, oh, look, if you can't see that, you should resign. It's all been turned into, oh, people are attacking the mayor just because of what he wears, you know, and they're calling him for him to be sacked because um, he can't have a bit of fun, you know, that's all this sort of shit. Oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, it makes me wonder if the world's actually making any improvements over the last couple of years. But anyway, you struggle on, sister. Uh, <laughs> you call, call it out when you see it. And uh, it's a bit like the bosses doing the wrong thing. If they're digging up asbestos or not paying people or people getting their fingers chopped off, uh, if you're a bystander, you're part of the problem, eh? Yeah, that's right. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. We have to thank Kevin Thompson, MP. Alan Hicks from the ETU, activist Kalani Pyra and Tim Gooden for speaking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne. It's podcast and it's available on 3cr.org.au. You can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377.
My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.